Thank you very much. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 21, and we'll have a second text, which is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If I were to ask you, what is the greatest sign that we're living in the last days, what would you say? Now, many of you already know that the greatest sign is the rebirth of the nation of Israel, which happened May 14, 1948. And that is the sign, really, that shows that we're living in the generation that Jesus will return. But there's another sign of probably equal importance. And as we'll see in our text in Luke chapter 21 and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it is the converging of all of the signs of the Bible in prophecy. You know, the Bible speaks a lot about prophecy. In fact, 27% of the Bible is prophetic. And so the Bible says in Luke 21, Matthew 24, and other verses, it talks about when you see all of these signs coming together and converging, you know you're living in the times of the signs. Now, people would say, but what does that mean? Well, let me just break it down. For 18, you know, some people tell me, Ernie, we've been talking about this for decades, centuries. Well, for 1,800 years, this has not been the case. In other words, when Jesus died and rose from the dead, all the way to the 1800s, everything was pretty much the same as it was 500 years before that, 1,000 years before that, etc. Nothing. All of the signs that we're talking about today, and certainly the rebirth of the nation of Israel, was not around. It wasn't until the 20th century, the 20th century, in other words, last century, that we're seeing these signs. In other words, the time when I was born, and most of you all were born, last century is when we started seeing an acceleration of these signs. And God is trying to say, when you see all of these things happening, when you see the converging of all of these things, look up. Get ready, because I'm about to come back. Let's turn to our text, Luke 21, 28. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. First Thessalonians 5, 3. But when they say peace and safety, when the world is crying out, peace, we want peace, a peace treaty, safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, God. And I thank you, my God, that you are a God that warns, God. You are a God that has given us the future, Lord. And I pray, God, for your anointing right now, Lord. I pray, God, for a sense of urgency. And I thank you, my God, that prophecy is not, God, to scare us, but it's to prepare us, Lord, because you are a good God. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'm going to do right now is I haven't really spoken and given a message about prophecy in a little bit over three months. And so when I started looking at all the news, for me to be able to do this message in a very short period of time, I had to pick the news only for the last 30 days. So what I'm about to tell you right now, over 90% of it is just in the last month, which is amazing. So let me first start off with this news about what Secretary Kerry said just in the last 30 days. You know, the Bible speaks about after the rapture, the world is going to be very, very different than it is today. There's not going to be countries that have a sovereignty or have borders today. You have the United States, and we're sovereign. In other words, we do what our Constitution says here, what our government says here. We don't have to go by what Russia says. We don't have to go by what Mexico or Canada says. We have our own laws, our own sovereignty, our own borders. Same thing with Europe and all the rest of them. But in the future, it's not going to be that way. In the future, there's going to be a one-world leader over the whole, the whole world. It'll be without sovereignty, without borders. And that's why what 
the greatest, if not with the most significant diplomat of all the United States, Kerry, Secretary of State John Kerry, he said just last week to some graduates, listen to what he said, quote, prepare yourselves for a borderless world. A world that is not going to have borders. Prepare yourselves for a borderless world. Same thing that Obama has been saying. Hey, you know what? These borders, let's open them up. Let's accept people. Haven't we been seeing that? In fact, our own Border Patrol agents are saying, what is going on here? We are opening up our borders to everything and everyone. And it's not just the United States. If you see what's going on in Europe, they're opening up their borders, and they're letting all these refugees come in from the Middle East, Syria. It's causing havoc. But it's almost like the borders are being minimized. And here, Secretary State, uh, Secretary of State John Kerry lets the cat out of the bag, and he says, Hey, graduates, prepare yourselves for a borderless world that's coming very soon. You know, I think about what Obama just finished saying. He told... In an audience, he says, what we ought to do is put the Nordic countries in charge. Nordic is Norway, Sweden, Finland. We put the, put, let's put the Nordic countries in charge of, a world, of the world for a little while to shape and maintain an international order. Their citizens are happy. They welcome and open their borders to the Syrian refugees, and they distribute the wealth. Socialism. No borders equalized in everything. The Pope has been saying the same thing. He's been saying, America, let them in. Don't listen to what Trump is saying and building the wall. Don't do that. Europe, let them in. And all of a sudden, the same message is going on everywhere right now. Forget about your borders. Let people in. Let's equalize everything. In fact, even today, we have an election very soon, and one of them is a socialist. And if you don't know what socialism is, you have to look into it and educate yourself. We'll be talking a little bit about that right now, but we're seeing that across the world right now. Then I see Obama, and he commits to bringing in 10,000 refugees, 10,000. And not only that, but he said, we're going to speed up the process of really our, our already inadequate and flimsy entry system. He's saying, right now, it's 18 to 24 months. And it's not working that well. 18 to 24 months. But we're going to reduce it to three months. Knowing full well that there are in those refugees terrorists. And he's putting our country, just like Europe, at risk. London. London just finished electing their first Muslim mayor. Never happened before, and it just happened. Trump. People are saying, what is going on there? Well, I will tell you, our country is looking for a leader. We've had such weak leadership for such a long time that everybody is saying, this is not just Republicans, Democrats, everybody. We just want somebody that's going to fix these problems. And so all of a sudden, Trump is now the Republican nominee and possibly going to be our president. Let me ask you this. Would he, would he have even had a chance last time, the, year before, the time before that? Probably not even a chance. What is going on here? It's because our world is clamoring for change, clamoring for strong leadership. And I'm going to tell you, the answer is not going to be any one of our nominees Unfortunately, whoever that of the three are, the Bible's very clear. There won't be success there. In fact, the Bible says real clearly that they'll fail, and so there's going to be a clamor for a world leader that's going to come, a world leader that's going to be better than all the rest of the leaders that we have right now. But all of the leadership vacuum we have right now is making a way for the world to say, we just want somebody who's going to be strong, who's going to take care of these problems. I think about the next item here. It says that the world is pushing 
for a final peace agreement in the Middle East. You know, the Bible says that right after the Antichrist comes on the scene, the very first thing he does is he is considered the best leader because he is able to bring the Jews and the Arabs together and come with an agreement that nobody else has been able to do. Trump, he actually just came out and said real recently, man, that would be a thing of beauty to be able to have the Palestinians and the Jews can come together. What a thing of beauty. All of these things are happening at the same time. And our scripture says, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction should come upon them. And right now, it's amazing to me that there is a push right now, just came on the news three weeks ago, maybe about four weeks ago, where Putin, Russia, leader, and Obama just made an agreement and said, when we do a final peace agreement on the Middle East, Israel will have to give up the Golden Heights. We're not going to ask Netanyahu. We're just going to go ahead and say, right now, we're agreeing, and so is Germany. That's going to be taken away. So Netanyahu comes out in the news. He finds out about it, and he says, you can Google it. It's not going to happen. We're not going to give up the Golden Heights. Now, why is this important? Because this is prophecy. The Bible speaks about how this is going to happen. Do you realize that the Golden Heights is the, southern, is the northern part of Israel. They took it over in 1967. Okay? Well, in the two, in the, I, remember, I remember in the 1990s when this news was going on. And I remember some of the leaders of Israel were saying, we can negotiate that. But so much has changed between the 1990s and now. Now, what's going on in the northern part of Israel? Well, you have Hezbollah, you have ISIS, you have Russia. You have Iran, you have China, you have Cuba. Oh, my gosh. This has just recently happened. And then Israel knows that they have rockets, and rockets are a lot better than they were 20 years ago and 15 years ago and 10 years ago. In addition, what's happened just real recently, Israel has found oil and natural gas in abundance. So they're saying, we're not going to give it up because we will put ourselves in danger by way of rockets and it, our existence will be destroyed. And two, we're not going to give up what God has blessed us with as far as those natural resources. And Obama says, yes, you are. He's got six months left in his presidency. You think he's going away quiet. It's interesting, guys. I don't know what's going to happen, but the world is pushing Israel to give up more land Joel chapter 3, verse 1 through 2, it talks about how in the future, one of the signs of the last days is God's judgment's going to fall because they're going to say, Israel, give up land, just like they did in 2005 in Gaza. And when they gave up the Gaza Strip, what's happened through that? Hamas, a terrorist organization, has been put in, and they've been getting rockets from the southern end of Israel into Israel, from Gaza to the southern end of Israel. So here... Israel tried to be negotiated in good faith, and they haven't received good faith. And the Bible says, when you see that they're having to give up land, you're going to see judgment from God, because God's not going to accept that. They're now trying to push Israel to go back to the 1967 borders and give up all of the land that they used to have, that they didn't have back then. Okay? And that will make Israel's existence precarious and undoable. Israel, for the first time on their northern front, not only is those nations I've just been seeing, but now the United States. The United States has not been in the Syrian war. They haven't been really involved with their F-16s. Well, something just happened in the last two or three weeks. Now we have our own fighter bombers, F-16s, in Syria. Wow. So you have Russia's fighter bombers, and now you have China and their planes, okay, and their ships. You have Iran in there, and now you have the United States in there. What is going on? It's all coming together. Just add Ezekiel 38 and 39 warned. Ezekiel chapter 37 says, it's the first thing. It says, son of man, can these bones live? You know, Lord. And he's talking about the nation of Israel. Can the nation of Israel become a nation again? You know, Lord. 
And Israel became a nation, May 14, 1948, as we said earlier. That was Ezekiel 37. But then it says the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to see Russia and Iran start moving in to attack Israel. And that's just happened just in the last six months. ISIS is threatening Israel globally and threatening the world. In fact, what did we just see in the last few days? A plane that went down. They're trying to ascertain what happened. It came from one of the European countries, and it was going to go to Egypt. There was three U.S. marshals on it, and the plane was still destroyed. Three U.S. marshals. And right now, they're wondering, what happened? What do we need to do to our security measures? And they say that if they find out there was a bomb that was put in somewhere at the airport, everything's going to have to change. They're going to have to get even a lot more stringent in their security. Well, yeah. <laughs> See, the problem really is not ISIS. The problem is Russia and Iran. That's the Bible. That's what the Bible says. When you see Russia and Iran on the northern part of Israel, that right there is the prelude of the war of the battle of Gog and Magog. The Bible says when you see that war start happening, the rapture's already happened. Because God's judgment's going to fall on Russia and Iran and her Muslim partners. The Bible says that he will destroy them. Where? On the mountains of Israel. Where are the mountains of Israel? The Golden Heights. The northern part of Israel. Isn't that fascinating? And that's where, right now, the problem is at. The Golden Heights, right above that is Lebanon, and right above that is Syria. And it's such a problem that, listen to this, what's happening just recently in the last few weeks. Saudi Arabia is now befriending Israel. Egypt is now befriending Israel. ISIS is now saying, we will go after not only Israel, but you, Egypt, because you're befriending Israel. Now, you've got to realize, in the war of 1948, 1956, 1967, 1973, the nemesis of Israel have been the Egypts of the world. And now, because they're Sunni, and they're worried about ISIS, okay, Shiites, and they're worried about Iran, um, I mean, ISIS being the radical Sunni, and then uh, Iran being Shiite, they're worried about Iran. And so Saudi Arabia is saying, we don't trust the United States. The United States has been helping Iran. And so now Israel is getting in partnership with, with uh, uh, Saudi Arabia is getting in partnership with Israel right before our very eyes. And you know what's fascinating to me about that? When I see that, I think about Ezekiel chapter 38, where the Bible says, when this army starts going into Israel, Sheba and Dedan say, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing attacking Israel and going after their spoils? Who is Sheba and Dedan? Saudi Arabia. Ezekiel, chapter 38, verse 13, written 2,700 years ago, 700 years before Christ. The prophet says, I see a time coming when Iran and Russia are coming against Israel. And I see a time coming where Saudi Arabia is not going to be going against Israel. They're actually going to be saying, like almost like in a United Nations resolution, what are you guys doing going against Israel? And what are you doing going after their spoils? And up until this oil was found and this natural gas, Israel didn't have a lot of spoils. But now, just in the last 12, 24 months, they now have discovered all of this oil and all this natural gas. And Russia's upset because now Israel's saying, hey, Europe, we'll sell you our oil and natural gas. Hey, Turkey, hey, Egypt, we'll sell you. And Russia's saying, no, 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 that was ours. And things are happening so rapidly. The Bible, Israel just finished warning Hezbollah in Lebanon. If you rain down your 100,000 rockets on us, we are going to use all our firepower, listen, against you. Because in 2006, there was a small war that Israel had with Hezbollah in Lebanon. And it lasted only about a month. And Israel kind of held back. They didn't want to worry about collateral damage. And really, after the month, there was really a stalemate, and the terrorists were emboldened. Hey, we were able to take on mighty Israel. And now Israel is saying, ain't going to happen that way in the future. And what did they do? Just this past week, 
they put in a new defense minister. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. His name is Lieberman. Okay? And this defense minister is hawkish. That means no messing around. That means you mess with us and we're messing with you much greater. He's a Russian. A Russian Jew. He emigrated into Israel, I think around 1978. And he just got put into that position last week. And that shows me, Israel, to be able to do that, that wasn't Netanyahu only. That had to be the whole party, the whole government that allowed that to happen. Because they see the writing on the wall. They see the dangerous situation. And they're saying, we got to get ready. we got to get prepared. Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia just finished doing something that was pretty amazing. They said, United States, your Congress right now is about to vote in the 9-11 Commission to ribble to report. When, there was a, when, there was, when the 9-11 happened, there was 19 terrorists that brought down the World Trade Center and the other two. Fifteen of them were from Saudi Arabia. So they did a 9-11 Commission to investigate who were these people, where did they get their money from? And 25 pages or more were not shown. And it was leaked out, and people said that's because it wasn't just those terrorists, but this was sponsored by Arab nations, and specifically Saudi Arabia. And so Saudi Arabia said, United States, we don't want you to show that report. We don't want it to be public. Now, why would it come out public? Because the families of those people that died in the World Trade Center, are saying, we want to get compensated. We want to sue Saudi Arabia. We believe it was them, and so we are owed lots of money. And Saudi Arabia is saying, don't do it. Because if you do it, the United States, you will have an economic meltdown because all of our treasuries that we've bought, hundreds of billions of dollars, will sell them. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you all know finances, okay, our country is much, very much in debt. And so to pay for our debt, we sell treasury bonds. And that helps service our debt. But if people are not going to be buying those treasury debts, treasury bonds, we're going to be in big problems. And if Saudi Arabia is going to sell hundreds of billions of those, that, their rights, will cause an economic catastrophe. And it's not just Saudi Arabia, but right now as we speak, Russia is selling some of them. China selling some of them. Brazil and all of their economic woes are selling them as well. They're dumping their treasuries. And then US tre- our U.S. debt, just this year, listen, just in the last six months, our debt has increased by $1 trillion. Now, sometimes, you know, a trillion here, a billion here, people don't realize what that is. A trillion dollars in the last six months. Do you know that... It took from 1976 to 204 years later, 1980, when I graduated from high school, for the United States to get their first trillion dollars of debt. And now we've done it in six months. What's happening? How could it be from George Washington to 1980, 204 years to make $1 trillion of debt? And now, in the last eight years of Obama, we've hit $10 trillion additional dollars. We are now at $20 trillion of debt, and the last trillion was in the last six months. We can't sustain this. It can't. After a while, it's like each one of you saying, I got a problem with my debt. I'm just going to get another credit card. And you fill that to the limit. I'm going to get another credit card. You fill that to the limit. And you keep on doing it until after a while, hey, the banks say, you're not going to get any more credit cards. That's what's happening to our country as we speak. And it's not just our country. It's other countries as well. I'm not sure if you're reading about Venezuela. You know, the Bible, why do I bring this one up? Because the Bible speaks about right after the Antichrist, he comes on the scene, world government, signs a peace treaty between the Arabs and the Jews, and then you have the red horse, which is war in the Middle East, tied into Ezekiel 38 and 39, the battle of Magog and Gog, I just finished telling you about. And then right after that is the black horse, Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 through 6, where it talks about a day's wages for a loaf of bread, hyperinflation, hyperinflation. 
What's happening in Venezuela right now? If you saw the news yesterday, a hamburger is costing $170. Because their currency, ya no vale. And that's if you have dollars. If you have what they called over there, bolividades, I believe. Bolividades. You need a wheelbarrow for them, for that one hamburger. What does it say in Revelation chapter 6? It says that the world will be having such a problem with their currencies and with money that it's going to take all day long for you to work just to buy a loaf of bread. In other words, if right now you earn $10 an hour, let's say, okay? $10 an hour times 8 hours, that's 80 bucks. The Bible says in the future you'll need 80 bucks just for a loaf of bread. But let's say if you want a hamburger, it's not just bread, now you want meat. Maybe we'll be like Venezuela at $170. And it's not just them. Maybe, Angel, you know about what's going on with Puerto Rico and the disaster that's going on right now in that country and how much in debt they are. In July 7th, they're going to have to come up with a payment. And they may not be able to service that. So our country is right now thinking about bailing them out. But who's going to bail us out? They're saying right now in Venezuela, this is a socialized paradise turned into a living hell. We're like a bomb that's about to go off. See, the world right now, it's racing towards a collapse of currencies and a return to the gold standard. The Bible says that after the rapture, there won't be any more dollars and pesos and euros. No. All of that will be eliminated. It'll be all somehow digital, but you won't have that national sovereignty anymore. And then the Bible speaks about the moral decay that's coming. Well, I would submit to you, our world is morally bankrupt. Now let's talk about the United States, just for a second. When President Obama gives a transgender directive to the schools, on gender identity. What does that mean? It doesn't mean, you know, well, I'll just say, what it means is, here I am, I'm a 14, 15, 16-year-old boy, and today I feel that my sex is not male, but it's female. So therefore, I'm going to go and take a shower with the volleyball team girls. And President Obama just been the same. Schools! If you don't support this, then we will take away your funding. And that just happened. What was it, last week? Just in the last five to ten days? What is happening? Now, I love what our Texas lieutenant governor said. Quote, Well, in Texas... He, President Obama, can keep his 30 pieces of silver. We will not yield to blackmail from the President of the United States. Thank God. Thank God. A group of Oregon students didn't agree with it as well, and they walked out of their school. said, no, we can't have that. We see how some of these kids are just playing games or whatever. And even if it's real, why should our fellow friends be taking a shower and then have the football player go in there just because he says he feels like it. What is going on? And these kids just walked out of the school. But on the other side, here you have a large department store, Target. And Target has made a decision to allowing transgender people to use the bathroom of their choice. The New York City mayor De Blasio just finished saying, Chick-fil-A is against same-sex marriage, and they're wrong, so don't eat there. In New York, Chick-fil-A, first of all, you guys know, is a Christian-owned business. So in New York, because Chick-fil-A is saying, we believe marriage is between a man and a woman, as the Bible says it is, and has been the case for 6,000 years of history. Okay, Chick-fil-A, you are wrong, and I'm going to tell all the people of New York, what is going on here? 
there was a guard in a restaurant in Washington, D.C. that was charged with assault after he confronted a transgender woman using a women's restroom. In other words, a man dressed up as a woman, I'm transgender, walks into this female restaurant. And the guard said, excuse me, uh, you can't go in there. That's just for women. And now he's being charged with assault. What's going on with our country? A Harvard professor says, the culture wars are over, especially now that Scalia is dead. Scalia, a Supreme Court justice that just passed away, very strong, a man of principle, conviction, believes in religious liberty, believes in the Constitution, fought many liberals and people who were trying to do all of these agendas, just died. And so this Harvard professor said, and now that he is dead, this is why, guys, let me put it in there, elections matter. It's critical who we vote for. Now that Scalia is dead, the victorious left should treat evangelicals like racists and Nazis. I'm just getting the quotes from the newspaper. So here this Harvard professor is saying, we the left, the liberals have won. Evangelicals, get out of the way. You've lost. And treat them like racists. I mean, doesn't this sound like Germany? Once unthinkable in the U.S., drug shoot-up rooms get a serious look in large cities. In other words, in large cities, you know, this person died because he was using a hypodermic needle that was dirty. So let's now make rooms where people can come and we'll make sure we give them clean needles and they do things right. On the same newspaper, it says, Employers are struggling to find new employees who pass a drug test. (laughs) Next one. A cult is rising. Witchcraft, demonic worship, is rising. Next one. Out of the shadows, Wicca grows in Austin, Texas, and beyond. What is happening? The, the devil knows his time is short. He's opening up the closet doors. And things are happening right before us. Look at this one. Want to talk about Jesus? You'll need a permit for that at North Carolina State University. In other words, like what I used to do at UTEP when I was a student... From our church, I started an organization called River of Life Christian Organization. And we would bring some of our people. Remember this, Robert? Emilio? We would bring, here I was, a student there. And then I would bring people from our church to do a Bible study, movies, a band, things like that. And then I would witness all the time, and I would pass out flyers and try to get people to come to church. And at the student union building, I would always try to talk people to people about the answer, which is Jesus. Now North Carolina State is saying, can't do that anymore. You need a permit. Now, if you're a Muslim, that's okay. But if you're a Christian, you can't do that anymore. The Bible says... That in the future, technology will be increasing at a massive rate. Daniel, chapter 12, verse 4, was written about 2,600 years ago. And Daniel says, I see a time coming where travel and information is going to explode. It's going to be going very fast. Revelation, chapter 13. John, on the island of Patmos, he says, I see a time coming where... There isn't going to be any more cash, and people are going to have some kind of a thing on their hand or on the forehead, and they'll be able to buy and sell. And without that, they won't be able to buy. There won't be any money. It will all be from the... Well, that was something that wasn't even contemplated until recently. And even right now, to be able to change from the credit cards we have to the barcode to a, a chip in there takes a lot of money for the stores to do that. 
But right now, in, um, in Japan, they're allowing all customers, they're saying by this summer, doing a test, to have all customers pay using fingerprint. Now, to us, we go, oh, we already know that. We do that with a phone. But now, let's get away from all of this cash. Let's just do it electronically. Geneva, Illinois. So in the state of Illinois, the school districts are installing fingerprint scanner in the cafeteria. And of the 6,000 students, almost all of them are already doing it, getting the students used to this technology. 100 execs from some of the world's most largest financial institutions met at the NASDAQ office to discuss digital cash to transform finance. And there's many startup companies that are at the forefront of this. One of them is called Chain. The software engineering will reshape the financial services of the world. When I read this, I think about Daniel chapter 12 verse 4, Revelation chapter 13. How close are we? And then it says, more being chipped. Minneapolis man has microchips implanted in his skin. So when he goes, he says, you know, I mean, I got to tell you, I kind of agree with him. It's a bummer having to learn and and remember all of your passcodes, huh? I mean, everywhere you go, now, what was that again? I forgot it again. So he says, I don't want to mess with that anymore. I just go to my house and to open the door, and it lets me in. I go to my car, I don't need keys. Let's me in. Go to the store. He's already got that. Now, listen, this is not the mark of the beast. It's a technology that maybe could be used by the mark, by the beast, but the mark of the beast is going to be real clear. It's going to be something where the Antichrist will be pledging allegiance, wants you to pledge allegiance to him. And he will be saying, if you get this mark, you are of me. And whatever technology he uses. But it's fascinating to me that all of these systems are right now already here. Lastly, on the signs. Colorado seismologists who predicted four earthquakes of 8.0 or larger warns of catastrophic mega quakes about to happen. Now, when I read this, I think about right after the rapture, Antichrist comes on the scene, sets up a world government, world religion, then signs a peace treaty between the Arabs and the Jews, okay? Then the red horse of the war uh, of Ezekiel 30 and 39, then the black horse representing um, what I told you about hyperinflation, okay? But right after that, the Bible speaks about an earthquake, an earthquake that's going to be felt throughout the whole world. The Bible speaks about how weather, weather is going to be changing drastically in this last seven years of life as we know it. And so leading up to that, weather is changing right now. Now, I know a lot of it are people are saying climate change and all that, which is a lot of hoopla. But I will say this. We're seeing earthquakes and weather change just like the Bible says would be happening, but we ain't seen nothing yet. Listen to this, okay? A leading earthquake scientist has said, in California, where they had the San Andreas Fault, it says, the San Andreas Fault is locked, loaded, and ready to roll with a big earthquake. And this happens about a hundred, every 100 years around the San Andreas Fault, which is about 185, million, 185 miles long. And one hasn't happened since 1857. And it's supposed to happen every 100 years. We're about 150 years overdue. And we're starting to see even more potential. I remember the one in Ecuador that just happened? That was a 7.8. And then, have you guys heard about the Ring of Fire? The Ring of Fire. That's in the Pacific, and that's an earthquake zone. An earthquake zone that's very susceptible to very large earthquakes. So right now, many scientists are saying, what is going on? And then just came on the, in the news last week. It says, chunks of the Earth's upper mantle are falling off and causing earthquakes, making the tectonic plate weaker and also causing for large volcanic activities. All of this is preparing the world for the coming judgment that the, war, that, that the Bible speaks about in the Great Tribulation. Jacob's trouble. Daniel's 70th week. The Bible's very clear 
that God is going to be judging this world because it's turned its back on him. And I can think about three. I'm almost done. I can think about three areas where the United States has turned its back on Israel and God's judgment is going to fall because of it. First one, state-sponsored abortion. Listen, first of all, if you're a girl in here and you've had an abortion and you ask God to forgive you, don't worry about it. God's forgiven you. It's over. Or if you're here right now and you haven't given your life to Jesus and you've aborted a baby, that's wrong. It's very wrong. But ask God to forgive you and it's behind you. And you don't have to worry about it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when a country says this is now legal. And when a country takes our taxpayer dollars and pays for it. That's what our country has done since 1973. You know, we think about Hitler. He killed 6 million Jews. Since 1973, we're now coming to the point now where we're about to have the number of babies killed being at 60 million. In other words, 10 times what Hitler did. You don't think God is going to hold a country and the people accountable for that? State-sponsored same-sex marriage, where God says marriage is between a man and a woman, and a country says, nope, we're not going to go by that. And now they approve something that the Bible warns. I mean, look at Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at the days of Noah. Look at throughout the whole Bible. We're now getting to a point of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, if you read it, and all the way to the end of the chapter, it talks about a sexual deviancy. And then it says, after that is done, God, he takes his protective hand off. In other words, the judgment that falls first is God saying, you're turning your back on me? You don't want to obey me? Then my protective hand comes off, and the devil's always looking to see who he may kill and destroy. Not just a person that does that, but a country. Just like in the Old Testament, we saw happen to Israel when they did it. And then the third one is turning our back on Israel. The Bible is clear. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 says, I will bless those nations and those people that bless you, Israel. But I will curse those nations or those people that curse you, Israel. And we as a country have been the most supportive nation of Israel, of any country, up until these last eight years. We have now supported Iran more than Israel. Helped them get money and they're doing more terrorism. And they're wanting to destroy Israel. And now we're forcing Israel to have to give up land? God's not going to have any of that. I've got to tell you, it makes me wonder. I'm going to say a statement here. It makes me wonder. Is there enough time to make America great again? In other words... What one of the Trump, what he is saying, his slogan, make America great again. I want that. I really do. But because all the signs are coming and converging at the same time and everything is in place. And because the Bible doesn't mention the United States being the power that it is. Could it be that there's not enough time to make America great again? Could it be that our last, our best days are behind us? And therefore, if our trust is in America, you've got the wrong trust. If your hope is, I just want more money, I just want more prosperity. The Bible says we're citizens of heaven, not of America, first. Before we're an American, we're a citizen of heaven. Things are getting worse very, very quickly right now. It's almost like the Bible says in Noah's generation, right? When Jesus said, how will it be when I return? It'll be like the days of Noah. The signs are going to be all around them. Very clear signs. And people are going to be eating, drinking, and doing business. Knowing that all these things are happening. Business as usual. Oh, well. 
Maybe even hearing a message like this. All right. Then you're being just like the people of the days of Noah. So, knowing all of this, how should we live? You know, the Bible warns of these converging signs not to scare us, right? But to prepare us so we can know about this. Knowledge is power. So we can know about it and then change our lifestyle on what God wants us to do. The Bible says in Daniel 9.10, it says, The wicked, they'll keep on being wicked. And they're not going to understand. But the wise, the Bible says, Daniel 9.10, will understand. Isn't that awesome? Here Daniel says, I see the end times. And I see what's happening. And those who do wickedly are going to keep on wickedly, and they're not going to get it. Just like the days of Noah. They see this beautiful, big ark. Animals going in there. And they keep on sinning, being stupid in their sin. The wicked will do wickedly and not understand. But the wise will see the signs and go, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to change. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. The Bible says in our text, look up. When you see all these things, look up. Don't be bogged down. Well, you don't understand. I just have this pressure, that pressure. I want to make this money here. I want to do this deal. And you're so invested in this world that you can't look up. Jesus said in our text, when you begin to see all these things, have a heart, eyes that say, God, I get it. And I'm going to be ready for you. I'm going to be looking for you. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. It says, teaching us. That denying ungodly and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. How should we live? I love what NIV translates it. Teaching us to say no. (laughs) No to ungodliness. No to worldly passions. No. And to live self-controlled lives. Upright, godly lives. And then he says, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, besides us getting ourselves to be saved, we need to help other people be saved. We need to be helping our moms and our dads be saved. We need to be helping our brothers and our sisters, our neighbors, people at work right now. Do your people at work know about this? Do your people at home know about this? Do your people that are around you, your circle of influence, have you told them about this? I'm going to share something with you. The Christians in Germany, when Hitler was killing the Jews, it was terrible. And I'm actually going to play a clip right now, okay? But let me just set it up. So here you have Hitler. His percentage of people following him was very small compared to the nation of Germany. In fact, only 10% of Germans really were Nazis and were, and were supporting this madman. 90% of them were not. But there's a saying, bad things happen when good people Do nothing. And in Germany, the 90% didn't say anything, didn't do anything. Knowing these people are dying, didn't speak up. And then you have the Christians. And the Christians didn't speak up. The preachers, just like many churches today. How many churches in El Paso preach about Jesus coming back, the last days, being ready? They don't. In Germany, the preachers... Not only we're not talking about this, but have you ever heard of the saying, they just sang louder? Anybody ever heard that? Let me tell you a little bit of history. There were some churches that were on the road of the railroad track that when the train was coming to take them to the concentration camps, the train would come and the Jews inside that train were screaming. And the Christians knew it and just sang louder. Let's go ahead and play it. 
10% of Germany's population of 79.7 million people actively worked or campaigned to bring about Hitler's change. Even at the height of its power in 1945, the Nazi political party boasted only 8.5 million members. So the remaining 90% of Germans, teachers and doctors and ministers and farmers, did what? Stood by? Watched? Essentially, yes. Mothers and fathers held their voices, covered their eyes, and closed their ears. The vast majority of an educated population accepted their salaries and avoided the uncomfortable truth that lingered over them like a serpent waiting to strike. And when the Nazis came for their children, it was too late. An eyewitness stated, We heard stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because we felt what could anyone do to stop it? Each Sunday morning, we could hear the train whistles blowing in the distance, then the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed when we heard cries coming from the train as it passed by. We realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in the cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sounds of those wheels because we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train was coming, and when we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly, and soon we heard them no more. Wow. How about you? Do you hear the cries of the people that are out there that are not saved and that are very soon going to be left behind? Do you hear... God crying out about your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your child or whoever's in your circle of influence. And you think, I still have time. And they don't. You see all these signs. I know I probably didn't do it justice. But God is trying to say, it's time. Sense of urgency. I'd like to have every head bowed and every eye closed.